you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the, world. in the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. There you go. Welcome to the show, folks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the big show. We certainly appreciate you guys coming by. Thanks for being here. As always, the Chris Voss Show is a family that loves you but doesn't judge you. To all our new listeners, we've been having this New Year's Eve resolution, New Year's resolution crowd come into the show. And after 15 years and millions of downloads, we're getting a 330% increase in volume this month of January. So if you're new to the show, we certainly appreciate you guys having here. Please stay. Don't be like the gym crowd who just goes to the gym for the first two months and then quits. We will improve your life, guaranteed. If you listen, but you have to listen. That's the deal. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Chris Foss one on the TikTok, and Chris Foss Facebook.com as well. We always have the most brilliant minds on here the CEOs, the billionaires, the White House presidential advisors, the Pulitzer Prize winners, people that bring their stories, their learnings, their educating that they've done <laughs> to the show. And they depart, and they depart, they impart their knowledge upon you. And it will change your life. If you don't have epiphanies or learn some new paradigms of the show, you better check your eardrums because they're full of wax. We have an amazing gentleman on the show. He's a multi-book author. His newest book is called The Two-But Rule. Turn negative thinking into positive solutions, which is always important to take and do. And uh, it's currently in stock wherever fine books are sold. John Wolpert joins us on the show today. We'll be talking to him about his amazing book. He is an esteemed speaker, writer, and thinker in technology and business innovation. As a CEO, product executive, and advisor, he's been at the vanguard of technological breakthroughs from the early days of the web to the rise of artificial intelligence. John is known for founding Flywheel a pioneer in the ride-hailing industry. His work at IBM made him a key figure in the evolution of open-source software, blockchain, and AI. He's co-founded Global R&D Consortium and Industry Standard Bodies, and his thought leadership on open innovation has been showcased in the Harvard Business Review. He's led countless new venture workshops spoken before the European Union and the Australian Parliament Today, in his mission to help organizations work together to solve hard problems. Welcome to the show, John. How are you? It's good to see you, Chris. <laughs> I, I sound pretty good, especially yeah. with that sultry voice of yours. You know, it's it's the 10 packs of cigarettes every day. Pop, I got to uh, do that. That's what I've got to do. Yeah, you got to do the Kent thing with the no filters or menthol. That's it, right? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> the Lauren so McCall voice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll die of cancer next year, but this sounds great. So, John, give us your dot coms. Where can people find you on the interwebs? The two but rule, all one thing, the two but rule, one T, very important, <laughs> dot com will get you to the book page or just jwolpert.com, one T also. Also, you can go to my substack at two butts.com. That's the number two, B U T S dot com, where all the buttheads hang out and support each other. There you go. And make sure you use just one T in the butt. One T, please. One T in the butt. 
or else you'll end up on my OnlyFans. So, John, <laughs> give us a 30,000 overview of your uh, book. Yeah, so I was approached by Wiley a year and a half ago, and they wanted me to write the uh, the Blockchain is Dead book, and because I weirdly got into that space for a long time and, and then set, decided it was a really terrible idea. And I said, no, that's too much negativity. And they said, we've got another book, and I, I, I pitched the two-butt rule. Um, I think the original title I, I pitched was Embracing Your Butt, and they, they, they like that. <laughs> and yeah, it is a book full of adolescent butt jokes, but it's also kind of serious in, in that you know, we, we've, we have gotten to this point in society where we have this toxic positivity, where we have lost touch with our butts. We are afraid of our butts. We're running from our butts, which is hard to do. It takes commitment to run from your own butt. Plus, it's always behind um, you, chasing you, so it's in your shadow. Yeah. I mean, the idea is that you, you really, success depends a lot on how much momentum you can muster turning yeah. bad ideas into good ones, right? The mythology is that there's some innovator, innovator with a great idea, Spanx, you know, you hear about Spanx and how she had this great idea, ignored all the negative thinking and made it happen. You know, finally, somebody believed in her. No, it's usually a terrible idea and you evolve it, you Turn it, you, know, you say, but that won't work, but yeah. it would if, but that also won't work, but yeah. it would if you keep doing that. In fact, you know, you think back to Apollo 13 and <laughs> can imagine when the, when the, you know, the, you know, the oxygen tank blows up and they've got to scramble to save the lives of the crew. And the first idea was, okay, let's light up the main engine, turn the ship around, burn back to earth. Mm-hmm. And the engineer said, but that's not a good idea because it could blow up. It might be damaged. Imagine if when they said that, the answer had been, oh, don't be so negative. That's <laughs> yeah. all you do, right? You know, yeah. Often, yeah. two-butt rule must be kind of like, yes, and. And I'm like, no, no. If Dr. Evil is suggesting to you to take over the world, you don't say, yes, and. You say, but that's a terrible idea because you're, you want your mommy to love you, and this will just make a lot of mommies hate you, but we could do this other thing instead. Oh, so, wow, I should change course then. We had Fred Hayes on the show, too, a couple of years ago. The steel, the nerves of steel those those guys have that are astronauts for the Apollo 13 mission. They just These guys really know how to hang on to their butts. He didn't, you know, unlike the, the Tom Hanks movie, he was complimentary to it, but he goes, we didn't break a sweat until we were coming in. Or we were coming in from orbit, or we were coming in the atmosphere, and it, there I think there was something that happened that made it a little weird. And he said that's the only time he broke a sweat. But part of it is because they're so they're trained. Crazy, cool. Yeah. They're trained through thousands of failures. They they're trained for every if and or but, if you will. And uh, yeah, his his cavalier to the whole thing was just like we were, we were going to be fine. You're just <laughs> yeah, people ask me why two butts, and I'm like, because failure is only an option when you stop on an odd numbered butt, right? So if you ah. but it, yeah, that, and that really is the key. Is something like my dating, right? <laughs> but that didn't work, and done. <laughs> right, I'm fresh yeah. out of butts. See. But if you if, if you go, can muster another one, but but it would work. Yeah. There you in go. my experience in research and you know engineering and you know doing stuff for IBM and research consortia. If you come up with, if you can do five rounds of the two butt rule, you'll you'll have a pretty good invention, more 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 times than you think. There you go. Yeah. So, what is the two butt rule? Let's just lay a foundation on that. Yeah, the boring term is momentum thinking, 
right? So you want to maintain momentum. In fact, you don't have to come up. There's lots of different kinds of buts, right? But I don't like that, but I would if. But you're a big dumb poopy head, but you wouldn't be if. (laughs) And it's usually separated with the word because, right? But you're a big dumb poopy head because, Mm -hmm. which really helps. It's not a trite thing. Really, the the deeper part of the two-butt rule, and I called it the two-butt rule and not momentum thinking because it's frankly just more fun to say. And we're trying to get this serious idea into society, right? We, we, have, we have generated a no-butts-allowed culture where terrible gig economy startups bulldoze whole service sectors. And it, it solved very few problems, pile a dozen more on top. Hmm. Social networks promise, you know, what? community and Mm -hmm. deliver blows to social norms and politics. Don't get me started. Right. We're we're just chasing each other's butts around, you know, but I don't like that. In politics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So these are the products of a no butts allowed culture. Right. But if you can say, if you can, and the, the important thing, and this really, I think the reason, one of my favorite quotes on the back of the book is from Jack Spear from NPR. And he says, you know, I've read the book and he did. He said, this needs to be read, read by both journalists and people in government to raise a level of discourse. Because the, the deep part of the book is about paying attention to the needs behind your intentions, right? So if you say, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. And if I think enough about why you want to do it, what you want to do is never as interesting or as important as why you want to do it, right? That's something mm-hmm. I learned as a product person. You know, if somebody says, I want, a, I want a faster horse. You really want to listen to the word faster mm-hmm. and why they want to go faster, right? You can get to either a racing car or a Model T, depending on how you interpret th- what they, their real needs are. Mm-hmm. You want to honor those needs and then honor the objections you have to those needs. What, what motivates you to object to them? And then find a way to square those in a way that doesn't, it's not just about compromise. In fact, compromise is a, a poor substitute to innovation, right? Compromise mm-hmm. is like, you know, here's a teeter-totter, a seesaw. You're only up when your friend's down. Or you're both compromised in the middle and you're going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Or you turn it into an airplane wing and you go up together, mm-hmm. right? So the two-butt rule is a way to get into that and to salvage a whole lot of very smart people who are getting written off, thrown out the door, or just generally ignored, they're pariahs, the buttheads, right? The people that say, but that won't work. Because <laughs> nobody likes one butt guy, mm. right? Nobody wants that, you know, and they'll, they'll be kept around. The boss will keep them around until they overstep. Mm-hmm. But it's, I got to think that the halls, halls of mental health are filled with one butt guys. And we need to turn them into two butt guys, right? We don't, we don't want to silence them. They have good things to say. Mm. They're just giving you one butt and need mm. two. And ideally, in fact, this is the best advice I can give is if you are one butter and you're you know, about to get fired, don't articulate your first butt until you have formulated your second. And I don't know if you're about you, but when I'm cutting in too quickly on a, a conversation or interrupting someone or coming, you know, throwing my butt out there, exposing my butt, I'm usually doing it because I'm afraid I'm going to forget what I wanted to say. It's very hard to forget what you want to say when you're formulating the second butt. And that gives you time. It slows you down and allows you to inject that, that insight at the right moment. You go from pariah to hero. Mm-hmm. So, so is the intent of the two-butt rule 
to flip negative thinking into positive solutions? Should should I approach something? You know, there's a lot of negative Nancys in the world. You know, you you cite some things in 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 your book, but doing whatever that business thing might be is too expensive. Or but that won't work. You know, as an entrepreneur, you hear that a lot. That's not going to work. Um, mm-hmm. Is is just asking two butts in a row going to fix the problem, or do you have to focus on the second butt being a positive step and and then comparing the two? It's a very good question. First of all, I find that a chain life is a chain of butts, right? And you rarely just a single chain. You've got to, you know, you've really got to, usually it's, but that won't work. But we could try this, but that also won't work. We could try this. And sometimes you can't come up with a good second butt. Mm-hmm. And this is, there's a chapter in the book called Elon Musk's Fuzzy Butt, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> Next to my favorite chapter is playing with your butt. It's just hilarious. As long as there's um, no pictures of Elon, that's fine. Elon's butt. No, okay. but you know, in seriousness, Elon and people like him really know how to tackle a problem and never, they don't, they don't just gnaw on it like a dog with a bone. They also know how to maintain momentum. They're always bringing that second butt, no matter how crazy or silly it is. And a silly butt will get you out of the, a second butt doesn't have to be a particularly good butt. I was in. I was running an innovation incubator once, big, one of the biggest ones in history at, for IBM, and on, we had, we were given this really gnarly problem to solve. And this new hire steps right up and says, "What if we?" And an engineer on the team didn't waste any time. He's like, "But that won't work." Boom! Like, wow. And I had just come off of this. I had just come off of a tour with a an innovation consulting firm fancy one in San Francisco. And there was somebody there that was always saying, but, but the, but, you know, always bring two butts, changed my life. And I said, so I said to this guy, I'm like, but it would work if, and he like rolls his eyes at me and he goes, it would work if gravity was different. And sure enough, a second later, another engineer went, wait a minute, wait a minute. And that led to a project generated a couple patents and got the attention of the top brass of the company. Wow. It good, yeah, it was a good result. They maintain momentum. You don't have to come up with a particularly good second butt. Sometimes a stupid, silly, crazy, fuzzy butt will get you to a place that you weren't expecting. This is why, as a man, I have a very fuzzy butt. Yes. Fuzzy everywhere, actually. But, but you wouldn't if you shaved. I mean, I'm not that kind of guy. The I don't know what that means. You can just roll with that joke, folks. So just discuss why po- toxic positivity and blind optimism can be just as harmful as constant naysaying. I think it's a it's it, toxic positivity is a pretty charged and overloaded term at the, these days. So I'll, I'll dodge that and, and call it culture of avoidance. Right? We're 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 really running away from even inside our own minds. Right? We it's very hard not to when you have a negative thought. We're taught to run away from it. You know, don't want to be negative. What we need to do is embrace that. We got to look at it and go, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, negative thought. I'm your buddy. I'm here for you. And, and that allows you the mental stamina to, to unpack that and say, okay, what's going on with you? Let's see what we can do about that. Right. So, toxic so positivity is just the team to... version of that, I think. There you go. It's avoidance. So, you know, I, this, this kind of reminds me, you know, sometimes the, the negative but, or as you put it, or the negative notion, the negative comment is almost necessary sometimes to keep a, a grounding or to give that paradox maybe 
what's there's probably another word I'm looking for, but to give a an altruism maybe to good ideas too as well. So sometimes it's good to know like basically what we used to we used to call it looking the dragon in the mouth. I think there's some other yeah. variations of that, but that's what I we called it. And one of the things we do is we sit down with whatever ideas we're working on and we try and flush out all the negative aspects of it and decide whether we we, we could live with the downside of the risks that we were taking and if we could and we could mitigate those risks by analyzing them or understanding what the downsides was if we failed it would propel us much better partially because we looked the dragon in the mouth and said we really don't want to get eaten or burned today yeah that really focuses the mind right it really there's does great, yeah there's a great story about lewis and clark in the book about how they came to this fork in the road that they weren't prepared for they hadn't been advised that this fork in the river in the missouri was was there and they didn't know what to do. They it both looked like they could have been the, the 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 route they needed to take, and most of their crew didn't disagreed with the, the, two, the two captains, Lewis and Clark. They wanted to go one way. Hmm. Most of the crew, including the expert at this, said go the other way. Hmm. And so they didn't just pull rank or what have you, or go with that, with the other guys. They they said okay, but we can we can we can we can burn it a half day. Let's go send two expeditions out. And they did. Came back. Didn't have anything conclusive. Did it one more time. Found on that expedition several species unknown to science before then. So they the unexpected result of, of embracing your butt. And then at the end, they actually went with Lewis and Clark's decision. But even then, the most of the crew didn't want to go that way. But because they had honored the perspective of the crew and took the time the crew did not resist they had a party the night that they set out and they went happily so they and, and even then they were like but we can also send a a scouting party overland to shorten the the the, the track back if we have to if we're wrong mm. so you see that that's I, it's not if, if somebody wants to go left and you want to go right you know, you could say, but I don't want to go left, but we could go right. And that's really not a good example of the two butt rule. But you could say, but if you, you apply a silly butt, you say, but if we grew giant legs and went left and right together, at least you're signaling that you're going to do it together. And that might take yeah. you somewhere. There you go. So, what are some step by step strategies for transforming momentum killing objections into innovation rocket fuel? I think the, the, the first thing, that there's several, I could unpack that in several ways. There's a really good passage in the book about, for product people and, and entrepreneurs, about using the two-butt rule to avoid uh, confirmation bias in lean startup, right? So if you're going to go out and you're going to start a company and you're like, okay, we're going to run an experiment. This happened. So I was the CEO of Flywheel, which is the first ride-hailing app. And I got clobbered by Uber. That was a fun story. I'll tell you all about it if you want. And I, there was a taxi driver coder I hired. If you're going to write a taxi app, write a, hire a coder who's a taxi driver. <laughs> That's a good idea. And he was a great guy, Kieran Farr. He's, he's, in fact, he runs his own stuff now. And Kieran said, hey, we should go. This was early in you know, 2009. And it was not certain that every taxi driver had an iPhone or a smartphone at all. And we wanted to load the software on their iPhones because we'd only raised like about a million bucks. Mm -hmm. So we needed to test that. So we told them all to go. We got on the, uh, the dispatchers for all these taxi companies. We said, go to Bob's Donuts. 
in Pol- on Polk Street in San Francisco. Famous, bo- you know, hole in the wall donut shop. We'll yeah. give you a donut and cup of coffee if you tell us if you show us what phone you've got. And sure enough, they came in and there was like twenty eight percent had iPhones. Even then, we were like, great, wow. we're on to something moving forward. Side note: I also met my future wife there. <laughs> wow, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So I got something out. Go. Yeah, yeah. You did. Let me ask you this. I was actually in a lift over the weekend. A car's in the shop. And so I I took a lift. And the guy, I don't know why, because I was telling him how many Silicon Valley friends I have. And that my friend, Robert Scoble, was at... Uh, He's cool. I've, I'm, he was yeah, at, I've known him. Yeah. yeah. He was at Loic's event that Loic used to put on in France or Europe. Louis, I forget his last name. But uh, he used to put on this event. And... Is it, who was it? Uh, uh, who's the guy, Travis? What's his face from? Uber? Yeah. And his, his little crew there, they were there to pitch Uber and hmm. they were, they were still just pitching this idea on Robert's lap is Marissa Meyer who, of Google fame, who eventually went on to yeah, waste okay. a bunch of money at Yahoo. Hey, I think if they had done what they did for, for Steve jobs and, and Lou Gerstner and given her chairmanship and, Mm. CEO ship and be able to fire the board, she'd have had a better chance. Mm. They didn't give her that. Mm. That meant you, you cannot turn a company like that around without yeah. that kind of power. Yeah. So I don't think she had a fair shake. Uh, we'll differ on that one. But <laughs> Mr. Meyer was sitting on his lap, and I don't think she was CEO quality, honestly, in my book. But so Mr. Meyer is sitting on his lap, and Travis and the other guys are telling about this fantastical idea of Uber. And so I, I told that to the driver, and somehow he decides to give me a whole historical lesson of the evolution of Uber. And I just shut up, and I'm just like, I'm not even going to try and cut him off. Um, and uh, he mentioned that there was an app that Uber had stoled, not really stoled or hijacked or taken over. He's like, somebody had the Uber idea first with the app. And then Uber well, took- yeah, we did. Is that you? <laughs> we had cars on a map. In fact, it's a great story. I was running an incubator for Best Buy for, for Brad Anderson and a guy named Rick Rommel and a guy named Cal Patel. And the idea was Brad Anderson wanted everybody, everybody entrepreneur to start, start their career at a Best Buy, learning customers, interested in stuff. <laughs> so uh, we would give them 50 grand and a team of three or four, put them in LA for nine weeks and they could prove out their idea. So Daniel, he was a Geek Squad agent. He comes up with the first Cars in a Map app. True story. He, his idea was to do it for Geek Squad cars so you could see them coming to deliver your TV or something. And they quickly discovered that was a bad idea in 2008. So they, they pivoted. So they go out to a party one night, and it's in L.A., and they all come back complaining about how they could never find a car, a cab in LA. They're like, they're everywhere, but you can never spot one because they're out of sight and out of mind. And somebody went, wait a minute. And said, wouldn't it be cabulous if we did that for cabs? And that resulted in the first cabs on a map app. There was a, there's a taxi booking app called taxi magic. I know, I know the CEO Mm -hmm. from that those Mm -hmm. days. And, and our difference was, and it was not an obvious thing. Like, did it matter that the cars, it, that you could see the cars on the map? So again, we went out and did lean startup and walked up to people with a completely fake app that we written, wrote in two days and showed them 
cars driving around the map, you know, at like we walk into the Transamerica building and go, hey, you, go, you need a ride home? Check this out. And if they tried to get their smartphone out of their pocket and download the app, then we would mark that and we'd give them a, uh, then we'd tell them it was fake and give them a, a coupon to get a, a hot dog or something <laughs> and, and say, hey, it's fake, but, but thank you. Thanks and for that gave us great data. In both of those tests that I, was, I just told you about, we validated the idea. Yeah. But we were not, we didn't have, we didn't, we weren't leaning into our butts, right? So lean startup was fine, but we didn't lean into our butts. What we should have been doing is joyously going and looking for all of the other reasons it was not, not going to work. And one big one that we missed was that while taxi drivers had smartphones enough to make a difference and for us to get started, they had jailbroken them back in the days when it was like the iPhone, what, two or three, whatever it was, three G, 2G, 3G, it couldn't handle data and voice at the same time. So they, these drivers would get on, the, on, the, on this chat line all day long with people that spoke their language mainly. Like there was the Eritrean chat line and everything. And, th- and they're like complaining that they're not getting any hails because they can't get the data. <laughs> and that was a very expensive mistake. And it was because we've, we were so happy that we saw that they had the smartphones that we didn't get interested in what other butts were out there. there you so go. you asked about the just kind of coming around to pay off the promise. That's one that's, you know, there's, there's procedure to that. I mean, you know, it's not just, Hey, but it would work if, but it wouldn't, wouldn't if, or yeah. what have you. Yeah. I wonder if it was you guys. Cause he said it was the company that had developed the GPS of it and into the app. And so they could they could see the thing. He he said he'd been a driver since 2005. So I think he did taxis before he was doing Lyft. But it was it was kind of an interesting conversation. At least the, the that part of it was the rest of it. He literally told me how Uber conquered the market. I'm just like seriously, dude. Did I not tell you I have friends in Silicon Valley? Do you do you not think that I know the story like the back of my hand? I watched the oh, whole well, thing it, go down. Yeah, Uber. You know, we we thought. I remember Bill, Bill Gurley who f- funded Uber called me i remember i was raising you know we were finishing the raise and we were the first thing funded is i'm I'm told we were the first thing funded in silicon valley after the debacle you know the financial crash it was you know mid 2009 and we only had like maybe three hundred thousand left in the round bill called me i'll never forget it i was sitting in i was standing in pivotal labs and he said so how much is left in the round and i'm sweating because i'd never met i'd never talked to bill Gurley, and i knew he was and he said, and I said, 300, 300, and he said, no, that's not enough. And then we had this very nice conversation. I was stupid enough to not real, you know, not read the writing and, and, and say, okay, I'll just throw that term sheet out. <laughs> you know, I was still a boy scout. I was like, you know, ethics. And yeah, I, I still am kind of an ethics guy, but yeah, he, he, he gave me really good advice. He's like, focus. And I'm like, yeah, we're focused, you know, San Francisco. It's like, no, South beach. Focus on just being the only, the, the perfect thing for South Beach. And that was really interesting. What Miami? I think Uber did, they really knew how to pick their butt. They, they had picked a different user entirely. M- my read of it, and I was pretty up close and personal with this, so I think this is true. And what I've heard from others is, consciously or unconsciously, they were serving I'll call it douchebag in the Castro trying to pick up a date with an iPhone and a limo 
in that in 2009 right so you that's, say hey, look, that's, that's me my place or yours and you pull out your iphone and you say look at this and you you, you know if you get a crown victoria taxi coming late <laughs> that's not going to get you what you want but that guy is also patient zero prime he's going to tell everybody about his cool new toy oh, and I played with it and it's going to excite everyone else because in those days it was get a taxi or get a limo for slightly more than a taxi it wasn't like get a prius for sometimes less than a taxi as it is now and yeah he that guy was perfect because you didn't have to change the product at all to serve everybody else mm-hmm. they were patient zero brilliant I, I learned i learned more from getting my butt kicked by uber than anything i can remember there you go now you can be positive with your butts because you got your butt kicked. So there you go. <laughs> what have we touched on that's inside the book that we can educate people on and, and help tease them out to pick up the book? Well, there's a ton, ton of really good stories. There's a great story about Calendly. And if you haven't heard the Topia Awatana uh, uh, story, it's great. Please, um, I love Calendly. I love it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's in the book. And it's, it's a brilliant story about uh, this guy had – was faced had to face all the butts i mean everything he had no money he was from nowhere he was just a, like software sales guy enterprise sales guy from atlanta wasn't hanging out doing parties with vcs or incubators in the valley i mean the, he, he didn't have any advantages and he was picking this horribly hard problem that we had been trying to tackle since literally the 80s so it wasn't like this brand new insight all right it was like you know, calendar the calendar ping pong problem has been around forever and everybody's tried to solve it. Microsoft tried it, Lotus tried to solve it, IBM, everybody. Dozens and dozens of companies that are dead now that tried to solve it. He's He's got no money, burns a 401k to fund it, doesn't have a CTO or a technical team, hires a Ukrainian technical team, which is usually not the right answer, but he gets a good one. Depends which war they're in. Suddenly. Huh? No, these guys were good. Depends which and, war they're in. Uh, Sorry, we do do Ukraine jokes on the show from time to time, and <laughs> Russian ones too. Yeah, it's good to be equal opportunity. Yeah. And and they, uh, yeah, and 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 then and then they run out of money. He runs out of money oh, just wow. as they're finishing the product. It's everything is done except the payment system. But we don't have any way to get paid, so he he can release the product, but he can't get paid. But he released it as a free product. And that's probably why we know them today. Wow. Because everybody went crazy about it at that point. Yeah. So, well, it's, right? so, it's so wonderful and easy to use. You know, you, you mentioned the ping pong effect. I think you're referring to where you go, hey, should we meet? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. And then you're like, hey, what about tomorrow at 10? You're like, I can't do that. Tomorrow, Tuesday at 8. And you're like, no, I can't do that. Is that what you're referring to? What the ping pong? Method? Yeah, exactly. Like, what, what, when are you available? Tuesday, maybe? What time? And you're just back and forth. That's a, just a huge pain in the butt. And, and this uh, Calendly really solved that. But th- there's, there's no reason why that, why did that one hit? It's, it's fascinating. And, and so it's a really interesting story and there's a lot more to it. And then there's a, there's a story about a ri- the long one at the, the very end of the book is, you know, I took a real hard swing at applying the two butt rule to ocean plastic. And that one was daunting. Like that took a lot of time and research and talking to a whole lot of people and in that problem space really? and saying, okay, but this won't work, but, but this won't work. And I'm like, if we can apply this and get anywhere on ocean plastic in that, in the, in, in that chapter, that was my sweating moment because I was like, if I can't apply it to this, 
then I don't have a book. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and I'd already sold the book, so. Yeah, so you had to make up some. No, I'm just. Kidding. No, it was good. Yeah, no, uh, I made it all up. <laughs> you know, it's it's I throughout my business career. I started my first company. I was 18. There have been so many moments where I had ideas and either a partner would be like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. Or I was like, God, I have this great idea. And if somehow we could, we could innovate this, whether it's a, a business model inside of our business, a process model where you're like, if we can fix this, this one department and it could, if things could flow better through it without so many hiccups and, and barriers, this could really be more profitable or profitable. And, and so being able to have that, but, and you're like, well, what if we did this? What if we did that, that experimentation model? And that's really what made me successful was one of my last CEOs I worked for. He taught me to run just experiments to try stuff. And sometimes he knew stuff was going to fail, but he would try to see if I could do it. Oh, I call that the old, but right. But it didn't work for us in the nineties, but here's what went wrong. So when you try it again, you'll see it coming. Yeah. yeah. So I told it was a real important lesson I learned in, and it, it's in my book, Beacons Leadership. And what it was is one day he comes to me and I was like his experiment boy, experiment boy. That sounds weird. That sounds really weird. Actually. Now that I think about it, he, I was his experiment guy and my, his innovator. They used to call me that I was the entrepreneur of the company. And so I could be his kind of like his junior and because he was busy running things, but he was really good at just seeing outside the box. Like you could, you could work on a plan for whatever he wanted to innovate. And you could sit, and we could be like two months into it, beating our heads up against the wall. He'd walk in and be like, "So what do you get? Where are you at with it?" And we're like, "Right here. This is what it is." And he goes, "But we can't get this to work." And he goes, "Do that, do that, do that," and then he'd leave, and then everything would work. And you just hate the hell out of him. But he was a great <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. But and I'm like, I want to be like that as a CEO someday, be able to see outside the box, and. One day, part of what he sold was he sold edited and censored movies, much to Hollywood chagrin up here in Utah. And he would mail the movies, much like Columbia House, out to on a monthly you know rental thing, out to the VCR movies, out to Christian communities throughout the South, and you know wherever where there was just people in like swearing, nudity, and violence in their movies, <clears throat> and. So he, you know, we had hundreds of telemarketers, I don't know, 800,000 telemarketers, in these giant buildings. And one day he says to me, he goes, hey, Chris, I want you to try something for me. And, and I go, okay. And he goes, I want you to go door to door and see if you can sell these movies. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I get paid way too much to go door to door. And he goes, no, we got to see if this will work. I need you to run this experiment. And I'm like, okay. I get paid pretty well, so I'm going to go wear a pair of shoes and a suit in the middle of summer. So I did that for two days. I literally went door to door and I'm, and I, you know, I was dressed up pretty nice and no one answered the door, or come to the door. And this is kind of, this is the nineties. So, you know, there are people still at home, but almost no one would open the door and talk to me. I don't know. Maybe I just, I don't know if I overdressed because they have more missionaries that run around here. Maybe someone just, everyone just thought I was a Mormon missionary, but I pretty much wore a hole in some really expensive dress shoes and walked all of this neighborhood, killed myself for this experiment. I remember coming back to the office and I said, he goes, how'd it go? I go, dude, I might have like three doors open for me. I can't sell anything because I can't get the doors open. And I knocked, I, I showed him the neighborhoods that I worked and we diversified it. And I'm like, I dude, this, this doesn't work. And as I'm, I'm, as I turn to walk out, he makes the comment, I guess it still doesn't work. 
And I stopped and I went, spun around and went, what did you say? And he goes, yeah, it still doesn't work. We tried it a few years ago, but I wanted to see if you could make it work. <laughs> nice. And so I started getting a little hot under the collar. I'm like, what the fuck did, why the fuck would you send me out to do something that you knew wouldn't work? And he goes, Chris, it's about running experiments and testing things. He goes, a few years ago, we tested it. And he goes, I know if anybody could have made that work or figured out how to, how to square that, square that thing, it would have been you. And so basically what we learned is it still doesn't work. So sometimes market conditions change. Sometimes things change in the environment or buyers things. And so we need to test it. And, and, and I know with my confidence to you that if it would have worked, you would have figured out a way. So yeah. it doesn't work. And. There you go. Maybe we'll test it in a few more years. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks, mainly because I burned a hole. In very expensive. I was, I was waiting for you to say that, you know, he said, he, he said it didn't work or, you know, it still doesn't work. And you went, wait a minute. And then, you know, got mad and made it work somehow. That would have been a good story too. That would have been a, maybe a good story, but I don't think there was a way, but I, I yeah. was in the mood to take off his head because two door, two days of banging on doors when you're supposed to be an executive of a company is a, is, is a little bit, you know, no, it's a but it's, bit of that's, that's the real deal, man. I mean, I, I was in taxis not to go back to the Uber store, or the, the you know, flywheel story, but mm-hmm. I, I, one of the most real experiences in my life and one of the most proud things I've ever done was be up at night in the middle of the night at, in taxi dispatch in the city part of San Francisco or, riding shotgun. I mean, every taxi driver in San Francisco used to know me and where I lived because they'd come and try to get their units fixed in my house. Um, it, it, it was, it, I learned more about real stuff than I ever did doing middleware or object-oriented programming stuff at, at IBM or anywhere else. That was a real experience. So, I mean, yeah, getting on, you know, burning through your, your shoes is, is honorable work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, you know the the idea of the relationship thing that you mentioned struck me. I think more than any reason why I spent a year writing about butts was, I think we need to we need to foster this culture of two buddhism because if you if you're going if you're going to say but that doesn't work, mm-hmm. your team you need a team that knows that you're going to come up with the second but shortly so that they let you get your first one out. Otherwise, there, you know, resistance is going to come. If somebody's got an idea and you say, but it won't work, or but I don't like that, mm-hmm. resistance, right? But if we all know, right, if, we, if this can get into the zeitgeist, if it can get into the, into the air, oh, yeah, what's your second button, man? Then it's fine, right? Then we've defused that problem, and we don't have to have the positivity police running around going, no killer phrases, you know, whenever mm-hmm. you're brainstorming. So that's, yeah. I, I think, a big reason I wrote the book. The uh, I should say before we, we wrap that in cases when you can't expose your butt to other people on your team, this is, I think, and we're, we're, we're checking, but I think this is true. I'll make the claim that the two-butt rule is the first, you know, big idea book that launched from a major publisher hit Barnes and Noble on the same day that the GPT for on OpenAI launched as a companion. So you can go to jwolpert.com slash 2BGPT, number 2GPT, number 2BGPT, and you'll find the two-butt rule GPT 
and you can say, this is my intention. This is what I want to do. And it'll start going, but that won't work, but it would if, and you can elaborate from there. People are going bananas over this thing. Wow. It, it's coming up with some pretty crazy stuff. So I definitely go try if you want to say, I, I intend to, you know, take over the world, but it's really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, you know, so many entrepreneurs, you know, they get shut down. No, that'll never work. No, don't waste your time being an entrepreneur. No, don't develop that product. It's you, but you'll just fail, but you'll lose a lot of money, but you'll, you know, 99% of businesses fail, blah, 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 blah. You know, and, and the great thing about entrepreneurs is they go to that second butt. They go, but what if, you know, what if, you know, you can make this work? What if? You can you can change the world. What if you can move mountains? What if you can put a dent in the universe? And you, I think you need a butt that never runs out of gas. Exactly, and some money and some luck. There you go. Speaking of which, money, luck, and I guess I'm if 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 people can afford the gas to get to Columbia, South Carolina next week, to on the seventh, five p.m. at the Boyd Innovation Center. There, the Mayor Institute and Moore School and the Boyd Innovation Center are putting on a night of the two butt rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Innovators Evening, you can find it on my website, and uh, we'd love to have you there. Mm-hmm. There you so go. Anybody in the in the southeast that wants to hang out with with a bunch of innovators. There you go. So it's been wonderful to have you on. And insightful. Give us your final pitch on the show for people who order the book and dot com where people can get it. Or if you got a team that if you've got a team that is is wallowing in negativity and can't get out of their own way, having circular arguments. And you need to achieve momentum and you don't want to fire everybody that's seemingly negative. You might need some help. Get the book or go to jwolpert.com and engage me either with Team Rotary, which is a really wonderful platform that Bob Sutton and, and others at Stanford and Harvard has, have put up. It's kind of like a master, live masterclass. Mm-hmm. So you can, you, can, you can engage me that way or, or you can engage me to speak or, or come and help you out. There you go. Thanks, John, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, you too, Chris. Thanks a lot. There you go. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Order the book where refined books are sold, The Two-Butt Rule, Turn Negative Thinking into Positive Solutions. Make sure you use a one T on the butt part of that. Otherwise, you end up on my OnlyFans. You don't want to see that because that's just wrong. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. Go to goodreads.com, fortune Chris Voss, LinkedIn.com, fortune Chris Voss, Chris Voss. One on the TikTok, any of those crazy places we're at. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.